Section 25 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Cole. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 1. Book the Second. Chapter 15. Portentosum Mare. Meanwhile a thickening mist had descended on the drifting wretches. They were ignorant of their whereabouts. They could scarcely see a cable's length around. Despite a furious storm of hail, which forced them to bend down their heads, the women had obstinately refused to go below again. No one, however hopeless, but wishes, if shipwreck be inevitable, to meet it in the open air. When so near death, a ceiling above one's head seems like the first outline of a coffin. They were now in a short and chopping sea. A turgid sea indicates its constraint. Even in a fog the entrance into a strait may be known by the boiling-like appearance of the waves. And thus it was, for they were unconsciously coasting Origny. Between the west of Ortac and the Caskets and the east of Origny, the sea is hemmed in and cramped, and the uneasy position determines locally the condition of storms. The sea suffers like others, and when it suffers it is irritable. That channel is a thing to fear. The Matutina was in it. Imagine under the sea a tortoise-shell as big as Hyde Park or the Champs-Élysées, of which every striature is a shallow, and every embossment a reef. Such is the western approach of Origny. The sea covers and conceals this shipwrecking apparatus. On this conglomeration of submarine breakers, the cloven waves leap and foam, in calm weather a chopping sea, in storms a chaos. The shipwrecked men observed this new complication without endeavouring to explain it to themselves. Suddenly they understood it. A pale vista broadened in the zenith, a wan tinge overspread the sun. The livid light revealed on the port side a long shoal stretching eastward, towards which the power of the rushing wind was driving the vessel. The shoal was Origny. What was that shoal? They shuddered. They would have shuddered even more had a voice answered them, Origny. No isle so well defended against man's approach as Origny. Below and above water it is protected by a savage guard, of which Ortac is the outpost. To the west, Boru, Sorterio, Anfroch, Niangel, Fondurroch, Les Jumelles, La Grosse, La Clanque, Les Aiguilles, Lavrach, La Fosse Marière, to the east, Souquet, Amofrelot, La Brabinta, La Quesligne, Croqueliou, La Fauche, La Sorte, Noir Put, Coupi, Obu. These are hydra monsters of the species reef. One of these reefs is called Le Boue, the Goal as if to imply that every voyage ends there. This obstruction of rocks, simplified by night and sea, 
appeared to the shipwrecked men in the shape of a single dark band, a sort of black blot on the horizon. Shipwreck is the ideal of helplessness, to be near land and unable to reach it, to float, yet not to be able to do so in any desired direction, to rest the foot on what seems firm and is fragile, to be full of life when overshadowed by death, to be the prisoner of space, to be walled in between sky and ocean, to have the infinite overhead like a dungeon, to be encompassed by the eluding elements of wind and waves, and to be seized, bound, paralysed, such a load of misfortune stupefies and crushes us. We imagine that in it we catch a glimpse of the sneer of the opponent who is beyond our reach. That which holds you fast is that which releases the birds and sets the fishes free. It appears nothing and is everything. We are dependent on the air which is ruffled by our mouths. We are dependent on the water which we catch in the hollow of our hands. Draw a glassful from the storm and it is but a cup of bitterness. A mouthful is nausea, a waveful is extermination. The grain of sand in the desert, the foam flake on the sea, are fearful symptoms. Omnipotence takes no care to hide its atom. It changes weakness into strength, fills naught with all. And it is with the infinitely little that the infinitely great crushes you. It is with its drops the ocean dissolves you. You feel you are a plaything. A plaything, ghastly epithet. The Matutina was a little above Origny, which was not an unfavourable position, but she was drifting towards its northern point which was fatal. As a bent bow discharges its arrow, the northwester was shooting the vessel towards the northern cape. Off that point, a little beyond the arbour of Corbelet, is that which the seamen of the Norman archipelago call a signe. The scene, or race, is a furious kind of current. A wreath of funnels in the shallows produces in the waves a wreath of whirlpools. You escape one to fall into another. A ship caught hold of by the race winds round and round until some sharp rock cleaves her hull. Then the shattered vessel stops, her stern rises from the waves, the stem completes the revolution in the abyss, the stern sinks in, and all is sucked down. A circle of foam broadens and floats, and nothing more is seen on the surface of the waves but a few bubbles here and there, rising from the smothered breathings below. The three most dangerous races in the whole channel are one close to the well-known Girdler Sands, one at Jersey between the Pignonier and the point of Normand, and the race of Aurigny. Had a local pilot been on board the Matutina, he could have warned them of their fresh peril. In place of a pilot they had their instinct. In situations of extreme danger men are endowed with second sight. High contortions of foam were flying along the coast in the frenzied raid of the wind. It was the spitting of the race. Many a bark had been swamped in that snare. Without knowing what awaited them, they approached the spot with horror. How to double that cape? There were no means of doing it. Just as they had seen, first the caskets, 
then Ortac, rise before them. They now saw the point of Aurigny, all of steep rock. It was like a number of giants rising up one after another, a series of frightful jewels. Charybdis and Scylla are but two. The caskets Ortac and Aurigny are three. The phenomenon of the horizon being invaded by the rocks was thus repeated with the grand monotony of the abyss. The battles of the ocean have the same sublime tautology as the combats of Homer. Every wave as they reached it added twenty cubits to the cape, awfully magnified by the mist. The fast decreasing distance seemed more inevitable. They were touching the skirts of the race. The first fold which seized them would drag them in. Another wave surmounted and all would be over. Suddenly the hooker was driven back, as by the blow of a titan's fist. The wave reared up under the vessel and fell back, throwing the waif back in its mane of foam. The Mattutina, thus impelled, drifted away from Orrigny. She was again on the open sea. Whence had come the succour? From the wind. The breath of the storm had changed its direction. The wave had played with them. Now it was the wind's turn. They had saved themselves from the caskets. Of Ortach it was the wave which had been their friend. Now it was the wind. The wind had suddenly veered from north to south. The sou'wester had succeeded the nor'wester. The current is the wind in the waters. The wind is the current in the air. These two forces had just counteracted each other, and it had been the wind's will to snatch its prey from the current. The sudden fantasies of ocean are uncertain. They are perhaps an embodiment of the perpetual. When at their mercy, man must neither hope nor despair. They do and they undo. The ocean amuses itself. Every shade of wide, untamed ferocity is phased in the vastness of that cunning sea, which Jean Bart used to call the great brute. To its claws and their gashings succeed soft intervals of velvet paws. Sometimes the storm hurries on a wreck, at others it works out the problem with care. It might almost be said that it caresses it. The sea can afford to take its time, as men in their agonies find out. We must own that occasionally these lulls of the torture announce deliverance. Such cases are rare. However this may be, men in extreme peril are quick to believe in rescue. The slightest pause in the storm's threats is sufficient. They tell themselves that they are out of danger. After believing themselves buried, they declare their resurrection. They feverishly embrace what they do not yet possess. It is clear that the bad luck has turned. They declare themselves satisfied. They are saved. Their cry quits with God. They should not be in so great a hurry to give up receipts to the unknown. The sou'wester set in with a whirlwind. Shipwrecked men have never any but rough helpers. The Matutina was dragged rapidly out to sea by the remnant of her rigging, like a dead woman trailed by the hair. It was like the enfranchisement granted by Tiberius at the price of violation. 
the wind treated with brutality those whom it saved it rendered service with fury it was help without pity the wreck was breaking up under the severity of its deliverers hailstones big and hard enough to charge a blunderbuss smote the vessel at every rotation of the waves these hailstones rolled about the deck like marbles the hooker whose deck was almost flush with the water was being beaten out of shape by the rolling masses of water and its sheets of spray on board it each man was for himself they clung on as best they could as each sea swept over them it was with a sense of surprise they saw that all was still there several had their faces torn by splinters happily despair has stout hands in terror a child's hand has the grasp of a giant agony makes a vice of a woman's fingers a girl in her fright can almost bury her rose-coloured fingers in a piece of iron with hooked fingers they hung on somehow as the waves dashed on and passed off them but every wave brought them the fear of being swept away suddenly they were relieved end of section twenty five recording by david cole medway massachusetts